0: Normally, on New Year's Eve, a tradition, or if it's your tradition, uh, New Year's resolutions. The the gist of this message is going to be resolutions. The question, the curiosity I have is, how many of you practice them? On New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, do you perform a New Year's resolution? Kind of a show of hands. Nobody. That's not always a bad thing. Uh, I'll, I'll just share my own, my own experience. I used to growing up uh, when I was old enough to make a decision. The, the encouragement on New Year's Eve was, oh, what's your, going to be your New Year's resolution? And, and uh, we would make one. Uh, the problem with it was I wasn't serious. And that, there's, there's three, three types of resolutions that happen on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. There's the traditional. It's just something that's done. And usually they don't hold much water, as most traditions do. They don't hold much water when it comes down to truth and, and justification and all that kind of stuff, foundation. The second is fun. Uh, we just do it for fun because it's part of the New Year's, New Year's activities. And well, I'll just do a New Year's resolution. And it doesn't really mean anything either. And then there's the serious person. And probably the percentage is very low for the the amount of people that are serious about it. Now, when I used to do my New Year's resolutions, I thought I was being serious. Yeah, not so much. About, I'll say, I may have lasted a week with any New Year's resolution I've ever made in my life. One week. So that's not a very good track record. When it comes to, the the word is resolve, where resolution comes from, right? Resolve is usually a strong foundational word, but yeah, not so much with New Year's resolutions. What I'm going to encourage today is that aside, and since you've already indicated that not many of you do New Year's resolutions, some of your friends might, is that I'm going to encourage one. Above, Even if you do, if those of you out in the uh, online world if you perform New Year's resolutions, what I'm gonna to encourage today is gonna to be a priority to all other resolutions you'll ever make. The verse that the Lord gave me in regards to this, I'm traveling back and forth to work and he drops this verse on me. It says, this is the resolution verse. So, okay. It's found in Third John and starts in the second verse. And this is a familiar verse in other subject matters, but I never ever related it to a resolution, to making a decision that I will resolve to do this. And 3 John verse two says, he's addressing it to, to the beloved. And I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna do a little side line here when we look at scripture when we look at the new testament um, there tends to be a general uh, perspective that it's all new testament that the the law the law doesn't count sort of after matthew once matthew starts that's the new testament and what i've noticed as i've studied the word and gone through and that a whole lot of Old Covenant stuff follows through Matthew, Mark, Luke. Still quite heavy in Old Covenant. And it's John, I've perceived this, that it's John who is the one who transitions, transitions very strongly from that Old Covenant ideology into the New Testament. The Church Age, and I asked. Him, I, said, I wondered about that, and I asked him. I said, "You know why?" And he said, "Well, John was very intimate with Jesus. He he listened at his heart, right?" It says Jesus. Uh, John was beside Jesus, putting his head against his breast. So. When Jesus shared things, John was right there. And I, don't, I know that may have been just moments that happened, that, that scenario happened, but I think it indicated an attitude of John that he didn't want to miss a thing. This is something new. This is the Messiah. I'm not missing a thing. and He got right in there, tucked right in, and just absorbed as much. So when John is expressing here in the third book, he's saying beloved and he's I think he wants to express it like Jesus is saying it himself. And we know that's true because Jesus is the word. But I think that's that's where John's mind was. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And that also brings up a question, doesn't it? How does a soul prosper? Well, we're gonna, I'm gonna bring you back to the beginning, Genesis, back to creation of man, Adam. And I've always been fascinated by Adam about how that all worked. And God created Adam. <clears throat> they created Adam in their image, the full, fullness of the Godhead. And a body was formed. All the mechanisms inside the body was formed. The soul was in there. And I believe a spirit was put in that body. Now. How I've understood, or how I've come to explain the spirit and the soul, because some people have questions of, as to whether they're the same or not. How I've come to understand it is how blood is to our bodies, through our blood vessels and all that kind of, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The spirit is the same to the soul. Now, God could have stopped right there and said, maybe just touched Adam on the head, maybe touched him on the shoulder, and said, breathe. And Adam would become a being, living, breathing, thinking, probably working out of instinct, uh, working in uh, innovation and ingenuity from necessity, and becoming a little different than the other creatures, if God had left him at that. But you see, God didn't stop there. He didn't stop at saying, oh, Adam, breathe, get going. It says God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. That makes all the difference. Because uh, the word for soul in the Hebrew is nefesh. I believe it's nefesh. And nefesh isn't just a particular word that only refers to that one detail that it's a body. It refers to the whole package. So when, when they say soul, he's talking about the whole package. He became a living being. The benefit of God breathing into Adam and him becoming a living soul is that God input everything that he planned Adam to know into him at that moment. So Adam just didn't go off acting on instinct and ingenuity out of necessity. He started naming the animals, so he became a scientist. Uh, He uh, started a family, so he became a parent in the process of him being Adam. Um, I've heard it speculated that he named the constellations, or at least was given the information about the constellations. So Adam became more than just a creature. He became a living soul. And the question that we have is, according to John's verses here, then how do we prosper our soul? Because the heft of Adam's sin, if you start understanding that that's God in Adam, the heft of Adam's sin robbed us of that. Adam took off God, put him off and uh, admitted or received a different inheritance from a dark and demonic realm. So how do we prosper our soul? Well, first off, we need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus, because then he can't, he's, he's called the quickening spirit, right? The inheritance we get from Adam is a, a dead spirit, a malnourished and dying soul, because without that, lifeblood of spirit flowing through our soul, we find everything else in this planet to try to replace it and end up wearing ourselves to death. We wear ourselves to death, trying to fill it with all the pleasures. You may not think of pleasure as work, but you ask some people and they are burning out, trying to make that feel good. And then they go to the other things that try to replace that so they can numb themselves. Addictions, drugs, alcohol, whatever. There is so much perversion in trying to fill that dead hole. That prosperity of of soul and spirit just isn't happening in the world. Sometimes it looks good. I have some friends who, man, their lives are together. But they're gonna end up in hell. Because they don't know jesus and if something were to happen if something were to fail in their lives in that structure that they've constructed if anything of that failed they would be devastated because they'd be out of control so how do we prosper our soul there are many meanings to uh, resolution and the the one we're gonna focus on is an expression of will or intent. Now, John's verse here, prosper your soul. Soul speaks of one's inner life in relation to one's own experiences. One's mind, one's heart, one's will, one's imagination. And those things include one's thoughts, desires, passions, and dreams. That's what our soul does. How can we prosper? Well, I can be flip and say, well, there's a whole Bible full of aspects to lead a soul to prosperity. Find them and you'll you'll receive it. Well, we're just gonna look at a few. The first one is uh, found in Romans twelve two, and it's about renewing the mind. And that talk that verse talks about don't conform to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what is good and what is acceptable and what is that perfect will of God. So we, in our resolve, in our resolution to prosper our soul, this is an aspect to, to be considered. Our, our natural self will conform to this world so easily. And I've been there, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm spiritual. I, I came to know Jesus when I was 15, went off, off in some very dark tangents, but always said, oh, I'm spiritual but dark, my life was dark. So I wasn't making a decision to have my mind renewed. I was going off doing my own thing and the results were darkness. A second point that relates to the mind is reigning in the imagination. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verses three to five. Paul writes here, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's serious business if we want our souls to prosper. We could say, oh, I've I've heard that before, and then go on and and do your own thing, which is what I did. I heard that verse probably a 100 times, 1,000 times maybe. Didn't do me any good. Until I decided to start making a decision about it, making a resolve about it to have it affect my life, my spiritual life, my growth in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that verse didn't work until I said I'll let it work. Reigning in our imagination. Let's get some examples. The Tower of Babel was an imagination against God. Phenomenal structure. You can see its influence all over the world. Look at any pyramid in a ziggurat and you see the influence of the Tower of Babel all over the Middle East, all down North America's West Coast, all down into Central America and South America. The temple in Jerusalem is an imagination for God. David had the dream, Solomon fulfilled it. Those dreams that are against God, we need to take a stand within ourselves and cast them down and bring the thoughts into the obedience of Christ. That's how we can prosper our soul. A healthy imagination has the right king on its throne. That's Jesus. Is that a challenge? Sure is because you have to make the decisions that it's like i'm sitting on the throne i have to get off the throne to let jesus take it that's how it works i abdicate and allow jesus to be my king isaiah 26 3 kind of covers one of the benefits of those two points You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. Can you imagine? And I, I believe you can imagine because you know Jesus and you've no doubt experienced moments of phenomenal, unusual, not of this world, peace in your life. Some of you may be every day. Some of you may be moments. Some of us growing into every day. But I know every one of you have experienced some point in your life, the peace of God that you cannot explain. We trust in him. He says he'll do it. He'll give you perfect peace. That's how you prosper your soul. A third point, guarding the heart. Proverbs four verse twenty-three. Proverbs four twenty-three is keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Even in the natural world, in worldly psychology, they are learning. That emotional reaction is the downfall of any healthy mind or relationship we know it already we know the issues of life come from the heart the heart is important to us the heart uh, gives us drive uh, spirited spirited actions come from the heart and Tell me, outside of something, I'll be very facetious here, outside of something mechanical, any problem in your life you can probably bring back to your heart. Am I right? Almost every problem in our life starts with the heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an important aspect of prospering your heart because there are a lot of verses warning about how dangerous the heart is um i'm not going to read them all off but i'll list them so that if you want to write them down i'll do it slowly uh genesis 1 6 5. oh sorry forgive me I'll, I'll repeat that genesis 6 5. <laughs> jeremiah 17. 9 and 10, 9, 10 matthew 15 18 19. matthew 12 34. galatians 5 16 and 17. romans seven, fifteen to 19. and romans 7 21 to 23. We have to guard against the heart because if we allow our emotions to have the reign, then we're dis-enthroning dis, uh, dis the Holy Spirit from being the one in control. Scripture says the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Those who are are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. If we are led by anything else, we're going in the wrong direction. We're going backwards. We're going down. We're we're falling. And so it doesn't hurt that when you have a trigger happen in your life that you pause. It does not hurt to pause. Sometimes we think it has to be done right now. I have to react right now. I have to solve it right now. And we go step right into confusion, frustration, cursing. Stuff starts coming out of our mouths that we don't normally let come out of our mouths in in other times. We need to permit the Holy Spirit to have his throne in our lives. Anything else that has it? brings us down a wrong road. This next point, or this point being made follows right into the fourth point, which is aligning our will. You see, we got into trouble as humanity through Adam because of his will. He made a choice. We, as believers, are given a sovereignty in Christ to act out that sovereignty as sons of God. We're the the little kings of king of kings. We're the little lords of the lord of lords. We're given a sovereignty to act out on this world as ambassadors with power, with authority against the darkness and to bring people out of the darkness to haul them out. So sometimes you have to haul them out of the fire. We have that authority. That sovereignty, and the thing is, we can do so much good with it, but we can also misuse it. I was rebuked by the Holy Spirit one time in my past that I'll share about employing my authority. And it happened to have something to do with employing a hedge. I had a very hard personal relationship life problem happen and in the midst of it i employed a hedge about the person thinking it would do good because i didn't want the person to leave the area because there was talk about the person leaving the area i want that stopped so i employed a hedge and you know what the sovereignty of the lord gave me the hedge was employed and then I got the feedback. I got the feedback from doing that action, employing that authority. And the, the reaction, the feedback, was not my, what my intention was for. And immediately the Holy Spirit rebuked me. He said, I allowed you to do it, but you need to go remove it now. So he did a twofold, twofold thing there. He reinforced that I have authority to do such things, but I have to do it right. I have to do it being led by the Spirit. I have to do it not out of reaction. I have to do it not out of emotion. I have to do it properly in the Spirit. And I went and removed the hedge. And the person left the area. And God's will still worked out in my life in the long run. My plan, That's why he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My plans are higher than your plans. Yeah. You can misuse your authority. So that's why it's important that we align our sovereignty. Recognize you have it, and then align it with Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords in our life. He is our sovereign king. We together must understand this point is key not just to the three that were already shared but this point is key and foundational hinges on all the other aspects from the scripture regarding our souls prospering because if we don't have him in the proper place in our heart and life and our spirit then none of this other stuff is going to come to fruition it doesn't work without him it doesn't work without him in the proper place in our life We make a mess of it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 reinforces this. This verse I've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of times as well. Growing up, after I came came to know the Lord in the Baptist church, I, I received him in. Heard the gospel, received Jesus as my Savior. And then I know I've heard this verse at least hundreds of times. And being a new believer, being not so mature, I used to take that wrong. My natural self took that verse as a challenge, and always wanted to rebel against it. I remember that. I remember not liking to hear these verses, because it was always like, Uh, a control thing, uh, manipulation. It was used in that kind of tone. But what Paul says is, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I used to take, I used to rebel against that. I didn't, how can I say it? My natural self very quickly learned how to play Christian. It learned how to play the part because I was always fighting against the truth in the word. So in order to look good in church, I had to play the part, always against this. I was, oh my. Looking back, I thank the Lord for his patience. I thank the Lord for his grace. I thank the Lord that I wasn't taken home sooner. Because I rebelled against this. A healthy response to that rebuke. Because it was a rebuke. This is a rebuke to Corinthian. the Corinthians. They were doing some stuff that... Uh, Even the pagans outside of the church were saying, hey, that's not right. They were in trouble. And uh, my speculation is this is a healthy, this could be a healthy response to that rebuke. It might go something like this. What? My body, my whole being, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He is in me. He is God's gift. I belong to him. He paid so, so much for me. I will glorify God with my whole being and spirit, which belong to him. Hallelujah. Praise him for his goodness to me. Thank you, Lord. See, had I been counseled, had I been not so rebellious, had I been not so do it my way, and responded similar to that, my life would have been a whole lot different up to this point. I wouldn't have gone through probably many of the struggles. I wouldn't have gone through probably many of the abuses that happened. I probably would have had a different perspective and a different authority in my life to make better decisions and to counter the evil that was in my life rather than go along with it or submit to it because there was stuff that I wasn't in control of. Knowing full well the whole being of God in me through Jesus Christ makes all the difference for prospering my soul, and as well for you. Your soul prospering in the new year is critical for you to have healthy, thriving, vibrant life in Christ that the, the, those outside will be jealous of? That's the way it's done. Is it a challenge? Yep. Sure is. Got to make decisions. Got to make hard decisions. Got to make resolutions. I resolve to have the Lord work on prospering my soul in 2024 by his Holy Spirit having the throne in my life. And I ask him to remind me every time darkness calls that I will say, sorry, the king's on the throne. John, expressing from the heart of God in the third book of John, continues with with the next verses. And as I had mentioned already, it's like God is using John to speak directly to you. And this is, how, this is how his heart is about this prospering of your soul. He said, starting in verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things. That's a priority then for him. He wishes above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's right from the mouth of God to you, prospering your soul in 2024. Beloved, Happy New Year. We, t- we count down the, the hours of this day and we go into a new year, I encourage. As John has, let John's encouragement be the priority of your resolution-making process in the new year. Whenever it happens. It doesn't have to be just this evening at 12.01. It doesn't have to be tomorrow morning when you get up out of bed. Every decision you make, make it a resolution to prosper your soul throughout the new year. And you cannot get anything but blessings from it. His word does not come back void. He's right there active in it. You employ it, it'll happen. Blessings upon you all. Let's end in the prayer. Abba, Father, thank you for ministering to me. Because you did minister to me regarding this before I've shared it with the body here. Thank you that their hearts may have gained something that will change the way 2024 goes. Thank you that you are always active in our lives. Thank you that we can make decisions to give you the throne in our hearts and in our spirits and in our souls and in our minds and our bodies. Thank you that this is a blessed family. Thank you that this is a blessed group of believers. Thank you that we are believing. Because that's the key. We believe this. We believe you said it. We believe you empower it. We believe you are a living word. We receive it and want it working in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this blessed day. Thank you for this coming new year. May it be blessed and prosperous for you all. Thank you.